this time, we'll go ahead and dismiss our children uh, to the kids' church. Uh, my Nicholas came up and said, Dad, can we go to kids' church yet? <laughs> uh, also wanted to remind you, also wanted to remind you, uh, in the next coming weeks, we will be sharing uh, our, about Lottie Moon and about our Christmas offering, so begin praying about that, about what the Lord would lay upon your heart uh, this year to give towards our mission offerings. All of, our, uh, all of the monies collected for both Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong goes directly to the mission field, uh, and so it's a wonderful opportunity for us to, to send funds where our bodies may not be able to go. And so be praying about what the Lord uh, would have you to give this year. If you have your Bibles, ask you to open up to the book of Daniel, <coughs> chapter 10. We finished last week in Daniel chapter 9, and in the end of Daniel chapter 9, uh, everyone is confident that they know exactly when and how Jesus is going to return, and, and you've got your calendars marked, and everybody's ready uh, for that day. So uh, we're going to continue in Daniel chapter 10. Uh, it's encouraging as we read Daniel 9 that that regardless of when the Lord returns, that he's going to return valiantly. He's going to return victorious as the conquering king, as a victorious warrior, and we await that day when Christ indeed does return. Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 through 19. <clears throat> now, I don't want to get your hopes up. Uh, we're not going to get all the way through, and I'm not going to get... Uh, uh, through everything in Daniel chapter 10 that I want to. Uh, so this is going to be a to-be-continued message. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 10 next week as well. But we're going to go ahead and read the whole text, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll deal with parts of the text this week and the parts of the text uh, next week. Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 through 19. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name... Belshazzar and the message was true and one of great conflict but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision in those days I Daniel had been mourning for three entire weeks I did not any eat any tasty food nor did meat or wine enter my mouth nor did I use any anointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed and on the 24th day of the first month while I was by the bank of the great river that is the Tigris. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen <clears throat> was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body was also like beryl, his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words were like the sound of tumult. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell upon them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly parlor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. And then behold, a hand touched me, 
and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you. Stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken these words to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding for me for 21 days. And then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision pertains to the days yet future. And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one thing, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. And then he opened my mouth and spoke and said to me who was standing before me, O my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of the Lord talk talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. This is the one with human appearance, touched me again and strengthened me. And he said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage. Be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Let's pray. God, as we read this passage, may we indeed be encouraged that even in the midst of very difficult times and very difficult circumstances, Lord, that you have never left us. Lord, but even in the revelation you give us, Lord, you strengthen our, our bodies to receive the understanding that you have given us. Lord, may in this passage, may we see your grace and your mercy, may we see the light of Jesus shining brightly in this Old Testament passage. May we be encouraged to live in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let me begin to set the stage for us here in Daniel chapter 10. It tells us, it begins Daniel chapter 10 with giving us a a time stamp. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, uh, the Persian. And so we understand that the 70 years of Babylonian captivity has come to an end. So this means that Daniel's probably somewhere about 85 years old as he receives this this message. And so you say, "Well, well, well, how are you getting that, preacher? Well, if we are going to say that in the first year of the Babylonian captivity that Nebuchadnezzar took took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, he took them into captive and brought them from Judah to Babylon when they were about 10, 12, 13 years old, somewhere in that ballpark, uh, as they were young men, young, uh, young men of great, uh, of, of great physical uh, promise and great uh, uh, mental and educational promise. And so they took these, these young men to Babylon and trained them that Daniel was probably a young man, probably in his uh, probably in his early adolescent or young teens as he was being trained. And so then you have 70 years of captivity 
under Babylonian control, and then Babylon falls to Persia, and so Persia takes over. So you're talking somewhere in the ballpark of 80 years that, that we're looking at. So Daniel is in his 80s as he receives this vision. And it tells us that it was the third year of Cyrus. So this tells us that there has already been the decree given to Uh, given from Cyrus, the king of Persia, to allow that first wave of Israelites to return to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple. We understand that that there were three waves that went back, uh, that the first wave uh, was led by Zerubbabel. uh, And I keep saying Zerubbabel just because it's a fun name and everybody ought to learn how to say Zerubbabel. Uh, But Zerubbabel was the leader of Israel that took the first wave of Israelites back and began rebuilding the temple. And then the second wave, that came back was under Ezra's leadership. And Ezra came back and, and Ezra was the one who restored the temple worship. Uh, and then finally we have Nehemiah would return uh, in the third wave and Nehemiah would uh, be used to not only finish the, the, the temple but rebuild the city walls and rebuild the, the, the protection around Israel. Uh, and so what we had was you had Daniel's in his eighties. The Babylonian captivity is, is no longer. Now Persia is in control. And the favor of God is, is God is, is, is relenting of his judgment and his wrath against Israel. Jeremiah tells us after these 70 years have been completed, then Israel will return and, and God is going to begin to, to use this remnant to restore Israel. And so this is what's taking place. And so Daniel is understanding what's going on. And we see in Daniel chapter one, um, chap, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, it says that Daniel gets this vision. And it tells us that the vision was true and it was of great conflict. Affliction and hardship is going to be those, it's going to be that which begins to mark the people of God. That which, which the people of God are, are going to begin to be marked by affliction and by hardship and by trial. Up until this time, Israel has enjoyed, uh, uh, they have enjoyed relative prosperity under the times of the monarchy, under the times of, of, of David and under the times of Joshua and the conquest and under the times of, even under the judges, they experienced times of great blessings and times of great trial. I'm sorry, times absent from great trial whenever Solomon was the king and, and, and they experienced prosperity like none other. But, After the exile, Israel, as well as the people of God, are going to be a people that are marked by affliction. People that are marked by trial. I was reading this week and studying and preparing. And I came across a story, an illustration that Charles Spurgeon used in one of his sermons. Describing how, how Christians would be known how they would be recognized and he used this illustration of a mother and a son who were separated whenever this child was very young and and the child began to grow and and the mother was was in another country and they were separated all through the adolescent years 
and, and the young man grew, and he grew uh, in wisdom, and he grew in stature, and, and then God called him unto salvation. And then after God's calling unto salvation, he called him apart for Christian vocation, and, and he began to study, and he began to serve, and he began to be used by God in a mighty way, and, and he became a pastor, and he, he began to be obedient, and God blessed him in, in, in many ways. And he gets word in his latter years that his mother's sick. And so he, he scrapes up all of the available means he has, and he goes home and he goes to visit his mom. And it's probably been 50, 60 years since he's seen his mom. And she didn't recognize him. And he walked up to her and he's trying to convince her that, that he's her son. And he takes and he says, Mom, do you remember whenever I was a little boy? And you remember whenever I got cut on my arm? And, and it, it made that, that ugly scar, and she said, yes. Yeah. So he pulled up his sleeve, and he showed his mom that scar, and immediately she began to weep, and she began to, to cry, and they hugged, and, and it was a wonderful reunion of a mother and a son. But it was the affliction that marked his identity. It was that pain. It was that, that hardship, that trial that marked his identity. And as followers of Christ... It's important that we understand that suffering, persecution, hardship is what marks us and what sets us apart. Flip with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi. Philippians is one of the most encouraging books and one of the encouraging letters of Paul in all the New Testament. He, if, if, if you... Turn to the book of Philippians, you're, and you browse through it, you're going to read, Rejoice, I give thanks, I give praise, I give honor and glory because of all you are doing. Look at verse 29 of chapter 1. Paul says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake. And he's about to tell them the gift that, that God has given us. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but what? To suffer for His sake. The gift of God to the Philippian church, the gift of God that Paul is thankful for, is the gift of faith and the gift of suffering. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. As Peter is writing to the church scattered throughout Asia Minor during the, the persecution of Nero, listen to what he says. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange were happening to you. As we, as we desire, Paul tells Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so if, if God has indeed called us apart, if he has indeed set us apart, then we can, we can be assured that we will suffer hardships. Paul says in his, in his farewell address to, to the Ephesian church in, in uh, Acts chapter 20, he said, I'm, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm, I'm not sure what's going to await me there, but I know this, that when I get there, bonds and affliction await me. That when I get there, it's going to be difficult. How does Paul know that? Because every city he's gone to has been, he's been greeted with trials and hardships and affliction. And so as Daniel gets this message, as he gets this, this vision of, of trial and hardship, he understands that while it's true, it is a difficult message to realize. Not only that, 
because of Daniel's position in the in the in the uh, in the government, because of his his high administrative position, he probably he probably had had access to to certain governmental documents which would have given the Persian king an appraisal of what was taking place in Jerusalem, what was taking place as the Israelites have gone back and begun rebuilding the temple. And let's find out what's going on. Turn to the book of Ezra, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This gives us a setting for what is taking place. Book of Ezra, chapter 4. That's all the way back before Psalms, so keep going. Before Job, before Psalms, the ends of Kings and Chronicles, you'll find Ezra. Ezra chapter 4. <coughs> Ezra chapter 4, verse 1. Now when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the people of exile were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel, the head of the fathers of the households, and said to them, Let us build with you. For we, like you, seek your God, and we have been sacrificing to him since the days of Esrahadon and, and the king of Assyria, who has brought you up to here. But Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers of the households of Israel said to them, You have nothing in common with us in building a house to our God, but we ourselves will together build the Lord of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building. And then they hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel all the days of Cyrus, the king of Persia, even to the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. So I believe that Daniel is hearing of what's taking place in Jerusalem as they are beginning to rebuild the temple. And he is, he is grieved and he is, he is troubled at this disturbing trend that's taking place in Jerusalem. And then he gets this vision that is true and of great conflict. And I believe as we look in chapter 10, verse 2 of Daniel, it says that in those days I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. Why was Daniel mourning? Why was he grieved? It tells us in the next few verses that, that, that he had instituted some kind of fast, that he was not eating tasty food. That must mean he was eating food like they do up in the north, all that Yankee food. It doesn't taste any good. That he was... He was not eating meat, not eating uh, anything that, 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 was, that was tasty, that he was fasting. He did not have wine or meat. He didn't anoint himself, whether that meant he didn't take a bath or whether that meant he didn't put on any perfume. We're not exactly sure. But Daniel was grieved. He was mourning. Why? I believe it's because he was hearing what was going on in Jerusalem. And it was, it was bringing great grief because if we remember Daniel, Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9, what's he doing? He's praying for Israel. He's praying that, that, that God would fulfill his promise that he made in Jeremiah to renew the covenant that he made with them. And so he's seeing in Jer reading in Jeremiah that the time of the Babylonian captivity is coming to an end and he's praying for God to restore Israel and then Zerubbabel returns and he's beginning to restore, rebuild the temple and Daniel's seeing that this fruition is coming to place but then he hears of all the trial and the affliction and the hardship and he's grieved, he's mourning which leads him to fast. That's the heart of biblical fasting, church. It's not... Let's put it on a calendar and we're going to fast from this day to this day because that's what the preacher said. 
Well, we're going to fast from this day to this day because this is what the association says we need to be fasting for. Daniel is moved to fast because he is grieved over, over what, what is taking place because there is, a, there is a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare that is taking place and he is moved to grief and mourning so much so that, it, that, that, that he can't eat. If you go back and you read in, in the book of uh, Samuel, Whenever Daniel, I'm sorry, David is confronted with his sin with Bathsheba and, and, and the, the child that is born to her is, is sick. The scripture tells us that David fasted and mourned and cried and prayed. And it was, it was the, the grief that came upon him, the mourning that came upon him that, that moved him to fast. And so church... As we see Daniel as a as an example to us, Daniel fervently, consistently entreated the Lord. For three weeks, he was praying to the Lord. So here's the question I have for us. How often and how fervently and how consistently do we pray? God lays something upon our heart. Maybe we're we're convicted about something. Maybe, maybe there is hardship or trial, affliction in our life. And, and, and we want to entreat the Lord. We want to pray about it. And so we get on our knees and we spend, we spend five whole minutes in prayer. And we turn off the TV and we, we turn off the radio and we get on our face before God. And we, we might even spend ten minutes in prayer. And then we, we pick our heads up and we look around and we say, all right, God. Where's my answer? I prayed to you. Have you fixed my problem yet? After Abraham and Sarah made the decision for Abraham to have a child with Hagar, the scripture tells us that 13 years passed between Ishmael and Sarah becoming pregnant with Isaac. 13 years. And I believe that Abraham continually sought the Lord day in and day out for 13 years. Daniel has been praying all through the Babylonian captivity. In fact, he was was almost killed for his consistency in prayer through the Babylonian captivity. Did that stop him? No. He is now in his 80s. There's been no temple. There's been no no organized worship. He hasn't been able to go to church in 80 years. Yet he's praying consistently, fervently seeking the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and mighty things which ye know not. As we read in Acts chapter 12, as Peter was arrested, it tells us in verse 5, that so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. And it tells us that whenever Peter showed up at the door, because the angel of the Lord released him in verse 12, that they were still in the upper room praying fervently for God to interact and to intervene, that they were fervently praying, seeking God. That they didn't say, hey, I have a prayer request. Let's, let's write it down on a board. Let's write it down on a piece of paper and we'll pray for five minutes and say, okay, thanks a lot. You know, we'll let you know how God responds. Pastor Steve got up this morning <clears throat> and he says, for such is the will of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus that we are to 
to give thanks in all things, that we are to pray continuously. And, and that is the idea of, of Daniel, that, that he is fervently, consistently praying to the Lord, that he is fervently, consistently beseeching the Lord of the harvest. And so here's the question. Why doesn't God act? Why does Daniel have to wait on the Lord? God doesn't often, God doesn't always act in the time and the manner in which we would expect him to. It's interesting, if you go back and you read the creation story, God could have created man and created woman from the get-go. But he didn't. The scripture tells us that, that God created man and he said it's not good for man to be alone. And then the scripture tells us that God then parades all these animals in front of Adam. And Adam saw no suitable mate, no suitable partner for him. And therefore God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He removed from him a rib from his side and he created woman. And he said, now this is now bone of my bone. And we, we, we know the story. But why didn't God just start off by making Eve? I mean, that would have made the whole thing simpler, wouldn't it? But he didn't. Because oftentimes, God's, God's allowing us to endure hardship, trial, affliction. God allowing us to suffer long is his way of teaching his children of their need and their dependence upon him. It is oftentimes his way for him to, to communicate to his children, you need me. And when we understand we need him, we begin to appreciate him and we begin to appreciate his salvation even that much more. So, <clears throat> I want to go back to Daniel chapter 10. And I want us to call your attention to verse... Call your attention to verse... 12, God acts in direct response to Daniel. He acts in direct response to Daniel. Look at verse 12. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to on understanding, this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. God acts in in direct response to Daniel's intercession. This ought to encourage us, church, that not only God hears us, but God responds to us. Amen? He heard the pleas of Daniel. Your words were heard, and he has come in response to your words. I think so oftentimes in our lives, we take for granted the fact that God hears our prayer that we have access to the creator of the universe, that we can bow our heads and we can close our eyes and we can go to, we don't even have to bow our heads and close our eyes. That the creator of the universe hears us because of Jesus. It tells us, the word tells us, uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but by me. The scripture tells us in the book of Revelation that Jesus is constantly making intercession on our behalf, that, that through Christ that we have an advocate with the Father, 
that he hears our prayer, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. I've used this analogy in the past, but it is applicable today. <clears throat> There's a bunch of neighborhood kids over at my house, and they're running around, and they're, they're doing what kids do, and they're playing ball, and, and one of them comes and knocks on the door and says, can I have a popsicle? look at the kid and I'm going to say no go to your own house and get your own popsicle but if he comes to me and he says Daniel sent me over here and he said you'd give me a popsicle well all of a sudden I'm going to give that kid a popsicle because I'm not going to make my son to look like a fool I'm not going to make my son to be a liar and when we go to God we go to God in the power and in the name of Jesus the name of Jesus is not just some tagline we put on the end of a prayer. It is the power and the authority in which we are assured that our prayers are heard. Because we come in the name of Jesus. And we go to the creator of the universe in the name of Jesus. And Daniel's prayer is heard. And God acts in direct response to Daniel's prayer. James chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you hope and a future. But if you skip down to verse 13, it says you will seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with all of our heart. And so it is the idea that God, when we approach the Lord of glory through Jesus, he hears and responds to us. God heard daniel in the midst of the affliction of israel in the midst of everything that's going on in the midst of all of the hardship and all the trouble god hears the prayer of his people and so church hear this we are promised through the word of god that when we go to the lord when we go to the lord with our wants and our needs and our hurts and our pain, and our trial, and our affliction. In the name of Jesus, he hears us. And when you lay on your bed at night, and your world is falling apart, and you feel emotionally like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, know that truth is more powerful than emotion. And that God hears your prayer in the name of Jesus because of Jesus, not because of you. And that your prayers and your supplication and your pleading are heard. So mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, great grandma, grandpa, don't stop praying for your children. You say, but, but look at how they're living. All the reason to pray that much more. Look at the circumstances in their life. All the reason to pray that much more, that much more faithful, that much more consistently to intercede on behalf of them through the name of Jesus pray and pray and when you're done pray some more and when you're done pray some more and you say preacher it's not working pray and pray and intercede and bring your supplications to the Lord through Jesus God acts in direct response to his people and so we get back to the passage and i want to address just an exegetical point here <clears throat> there are many people who believe this angel if you look at verse three through actually verse five through uh, verse nine 
It tells us that, it gives us this description of this, this man that enters, and he's got eyes like lightning bolts, and he's got, uh, you know, his face is, 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 is shining. And, and there are many people who say that, that this is the angel Gabriel, because the angel Gabriel just appeared to Daniel in chapter 8 and chapter 9. And I don't think that it's the angel Gabriel, because if it was the angel Gabriel, it would have told us it was the angel Gabriel, just like it did in chapter 8. And so I don't think it was the angel Gabriel. And so many people say, well, well, this is a, a theophany or a Christophany, a pre-incarnation of the Lord Jesus. I don't think that it was a pre-incarnation of the Lord Jesus because of verse 15. If you look at verse 15, <clears throat> I'm sorry, not verse 15, verse 13. This, this angelic being says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, talking about Michael the archangel, came to help me. Jesus, if this was a pre-incarnation of Christ, doesn't need Michael's help. He doesn't need the omnipotent God of the universe, doesn't need to beseech an archangel to give him assistance in dealing with this, this earthly king. And so I don't think that it was a pre-incarnation of Christ. However, I do believe that this angel of the Lord was rightly representative of the God that he serves. And I want us to take this away from this church. Here is the description of the angel that represented God. It says in verse 5, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, and he was girded with a belt of gold. In verse 6, his, he was also like beryl, his face, and it had the appearance of lightning in his eyes, and flaming torches on his arms, and feet like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sounds of his word was the sound of a tumult, literally the sound of a tumult. That, that means his sound was like the, the sound of a roaring lion, that which, that, that which bestowed upon the people fear and trembling. And so what is Daniel saying? Saying that this angel represented the God that he served, that it was, he was fearful and it was fierce and it was, it was like, a, like a valiant warrior. This is the precise reason, church, that whenever we go out into the world and represent Christ, that we are to be holy because we represent the God that we serve. If we walk out these doors and we look nothing like the God that we serve, then we are, dis, we are giving a disservice and we are not rightly representing the God whom we serve. 1 Peter chapter 2 says you are a holy nation, verse 9. A holy nation. A people called to be set apart. That, that, that we are to be different from the world that we live in. And if you keep reading 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen priest, a, royal, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at verse 10. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Be ur beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts. We must be different. Why? Because we represent the God that we serve. This angel represented the God that he served, and it was terrifying. Sometimes it's terrifying how unlike the God that we serve, we are. Call your attention to one more thing in chapter 11 as we close. Chapter 10, verse 11 and verse 19 as we close. <coughs> verse 11 of Daniel chapter 10. And he said to me, O Daniel, 
man of high esteem. Skip down to verse 19. He said to me, O man of high esteem. We see this same phrase in chapter 9, verse 23, as the angel Gabriel approaches Daniel. He says, at the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued, I have come to tell you, you are highly esteemed. The word can literally be translated man of preciousness. But that doesn't translate real well, so we say man who is highly esteemed. It is the same verb, the same uh, adjective, uh, from the same root that says, for we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That we are precious in the sight of God. That, that there's something beloved about Daniel. And I can promise you, church, Daniel is not loved because Daniel was a good guy. Daniel's not loved because of all the people in Israel, Daniel was the best looking. Daniel was the tallest. Daniel was the strongest. Daniel had the most to offer. Daniel was loved and Daniel was highly esteemed because Daniel was loved by God. And this morning, what makes us precious to the Lord is not what we have to offer. What makes us precious to the Lord is who offered it on our behalf. What makes us precious is Romans chapter 5, 8, for God demonstrates his great love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we are his. And that's what makes us precious. That we are his. That he has bought us with a price. He has shed his red, rich, royal blood on a cruel Roman cross that we might be his. And he is sanctifying us for himself that we might represent him, that we might show the glory of the Lord to all those who are around us. And we are loved, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. So hear this from Daniel. Hear that, that we are highly favored by God, not because of who you are, not because of what you can do or what you will do or what you have done, but you are highly favored by God because of Jesus, because of who he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us, not because of us, but you love us because you're a God who abounds in loving kindness. You're a God who is gracious. You're a God who endures long-suffering with both saint and sinner. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you demonstrate your great love for us, that while we were sinners, while we were haters of God, rebellious, running from you, that you sent your Son to be our Savior. And if for nothing else, we can be thankful and grateful for that. Lord, I thank you that we see in Daniel the need for consistent, fervent prayer. Maybe you're here this this morning and life's not going as you want it to go. Maybe your children are running from the Lord, your grandchildren don't know the Lord. 
your life is falling apart. May we be encouraged from the book of Daniel to pray and pray and pray some more. May we be encouraged to live a life that is representative of the God that we serve. Maybe this morning you simply need to be encouraged that God loves you. Not because of what you can offer, but simply because Jesus said you're worthy of it. Father, during this time of invitation, may you speak to our hearts. May you encourage us. If there's someone here this morning who needs to give their life to Jesus, may this day be a Thanksgiving Sunday to remember. Maybe you need to commit yourself to become a part of what God's doing here at Redeemer. Whatever it is that the Lord is speaking to your heart, may you find yourself obedient. In Jesus' name.